Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and inner standing. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Hello, thank you for tuning in to Buy Nobody's Podcast. Jen, I have something that I really need to get off my chest. All right, let's hear it. Okay, okay. So I was, I was uh, just cruising the internet the other day. And uh, I saw this article about the Spice Girls. I know, completely random, completely random, but just okay. hear me out, okay? okay. Just about the Spice Girls. And I couldn't, I, and, and it was just sort of like this bout of nostalgia. And what I ended up doing is I went on YouTube and was like thinking to myself, I can't remember the last time I actually heard a Spice Girls song, but I was around during that era, right? Okay. Was that like the late 90s and something like that? And I realized mm-hmm. in my mind at the time, like they were fucking huge. Yeah. You know, you know who the Spice want. Girls are, right? Yeah, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Yeah, exactly, like that. Yeah, yeah, that's like the one thing that comes into your mind whenever you think of the Spice Girls. And I started oh, yeah. trying to remember what the songs were like. So I went on YouTube and I looked up that song, If You Want to Be My Lover, yeah. and I made the mistake of actually pressing play and <gasps> listening to the song in its no, entirety. Oh, don't do it. And it, it was like, it was like um, looking at a picture of an ex after you haven't seen it for like, I want to say like two decades or something, all yeah. these feelings and emotions came back out of nowhere. Okay. And suddenly I knew the words to the song. Mind you, I never actually used to listen to the Spice Girls, but if you were a part of that time, you had to have caught it on the radio. Oh, you had to have yeah. either dated no a girl. no avoiding it. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. dated a girl. I even dated a girl back then that listened to them. And mm-hmm. so somehow you just know the words to the song. And I, I swear to you, Spice Girls broke my brain. And the reason why I bring this up in this conversation, Jen, is because uh, I, after I heard the song, I got this same feeling that maybe some people experience when they've smoked a little bit too much weed, where uh, a sort of like bit of anxiety starts to come up and you somehow feel like you've broken your brain. You'll never, ever be the same. Well, how this happened in this situation was once the song entered into my consciousness, I couldn't get it out. Okay. It was in my mind and in my brain for like two, three, even four days following me actually listening to it. Oh my God. Have you heard Hamster on a Piano? No, I haven't heard Hamster on a Piano. I was just like thinking of like different ways to spice up my life, just fucking lyrics from the song. And I started getting these like little feelings of anxiety, like crap, I don't know how to get rid of this. And of course, if you're looking at the spiritual perspective, you don't want to just sit there trying to get rid of something that's in your consciousness. Okay. It just made me think of like how catchy those songs used to be. And now that I'm old enough to sort of wax poetic about the past, it's almost deliberate, right? They make those songs specifically so that they can get stuck in your head. Yeah, like Chicken Wing. Chicken wing, chicken wing, hot dog and bologna, chicken and macaroni, chilling with my homies. You know that song? Is that a song they did? Yeah. Oh, and then really? it just repeats over and over and over and over and oh, over. Oh my gosh. And the same with Hamster on a Piano. Yeah. Hamster just makes on you a think Piano. Of... Hamster <laughs> on a Piano. And yeah. it's, he eats popcorn on a piano and that's, that's Oh my it. gosh. So I, I had to go through this this uh, kind of experience. It became a spiritual practice. Oh, did and it? This is just a perfect <laughs> example of how anything in life in 3D can become a spiritual practice because okay. I didn't like the fact that it was in my mind. Out of all the millions of things that could be lingering through my mind, like a mantra mm-hmm. or like some nice sort of 432 hertz frequencies or something like that, this mm-hmm. was stuck in my mind. One, okay. because I appreciate all elements of sound. Okay, so maybe it was melodic, maybe it was catchy. Okay, that's one thing. That is also one thing to like. 
You know, people like catchy songs. It's the reason why pop songs exist, and that's the reason why lo- lots of people love them. But I made the mistake of, of uh, trying to get this song out of my head, and it just only sort of made it worse. So I kind of had to check in with myself and say, okay, well, what is it about me in this song that is creating anxiety in me? And I exercised some level of awareness, and I just watched it. I just, I just allowed that song to play in my mind for as long as it did, and I didn't try pushing it away. And eventually, my attention went elsewhere. All right. I like it. Isn't that some crazy shit? I want to say, be careful. You know, those songs are really catchy. And it was for me. But you know, Spice oh Girls gosh. broke my brain. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how yeah. to deal with it, Jen. You know, I I get it. That's happened to me before. And actually pretty recently. Um, not with the Spice Girls song, but with that stupid Lou Vega song. And, what song was and that? The hamster, the hamster on a piano and the chicken wing, chicken wing. Chicken wing will just pop in my brain like <laughs> randomly in the middle of the day. And then yeah. I'll sing it in my head for the next 15 or 20 minutes. And I'm like, really? I've, I've got to read these emails. I have things to do. <laughs> and I can't be bothered by Chicken Wing. You know yeah. I mean? And all of a sudden you're like, wow, it's like that movie, Josie and the Pussycats from the 90s. You're like, oh, wow. And all of a sudden I just want to buy shit. Just sort of like <laughs> participate in sort of the, the capitalist society and just like buy a pair of Nikes and eat a McDonald's. Like there's, there's something about the influence of these uh, sort of songs that are like systematically created in order to get you to buy shit or to think a certain way. You know, you know I, where I thought you were going with this is that you were having a nostalgic moment and maybe it reminded you of a girlfriend and it took you back to that place. And that's where I thought you were going with this. But. Oh, I mean, it most certainly did that. It most yeah. certainly did that. So there is a part of me that was that understood the nostalgia of it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I don't know if you go through this at all, but during the time in which those songs came out, they were like a big deal. Like people really enjoyed oh, yeah. listening to them. Them, oh, Backstreet yeah. Boys, NSYNC. I didn't listen to any of that music during the time. But you were around it if you were watching MTV or if you were dating somebody that, you know, had different types of interests. Like It was in the landscape of your life. Oh, for sure. There was no and avoiding it. Yeah. There was no <laughs> avoiding it. But now, you know, fast forward to 2021, you know, I'm 36 years old. I haven't heard those that, that music for uh, a really long time. Listening to it now, it's so cheesy. Did you put on Ace of Base um, after that? No, I didn't. I didn't put on Ace of Base. But no. It, what it, what I, one thing that I gathered from this is that we were at like a certain level of almost at least innocence an innocence that we don't so much embody anymore because those songs were obviously playful so true nowadays songs are way too serious and they're way too sort of uh seemingly toxic in some ways you know what i remember about the spice girls is the one that looked like a little baby i forget what her name was maybe her Her name was baby spice jen oh it was baby spice okay and uh she would always say that she was a virgin, which clearly she wasn't a virgin, but it was one of those things that people didn't really talk about sex when during that time, you know, you knew it was happening or whatever, but it wasn't in all of the songs like it is now, like now, you know, they write songs like WAP, you know? Yeah. And interesting thing. It's very interesting. interesting, Like how music has changed to become very sexually open. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the kind of segue into the, the topic that we're going to be discussing today, which is misconceptions about common misconceptions about what it means to be spiritual or otherwise just common misconceptions about spirituality. Okay. I mean, this can kind of, this can be a good segue because look, no matter how spiritual you are, you're still a part of society. And if, uh, you know, you find yourself listening to songs from the nineties, whether it be alternative rock or the fucking Spice Girls, you can still do that if you're a spiritual person. You can be a spiritual person and do and be anything you want to be. And yeah, do anything, anything you that do. you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, and so the reason why um, I think this comes up, well, this is something that kind of rings really intimately true for me, and I think a lot of people, because um, I've been a part of the healing community as a sound healer, Reiki practitioner for a long time, and now doing this podcast about pretty much the same subject. 
I've experienced my fair share of situations where you're either conversing with other people or uh, you make mistakes as a human and automatically people pull that card of, okay, well, if you're spiritual, then why is this happening? Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. So they have all these sort of preconceived notions about what it means to be spiritual. And uh, I think a part of what we wanted to do with this podcast today was to dissect some of these misconceptions and add some, sprinkle some truth in there. I like it. And see if we can um, gather some understanding uh, for ourselves, but also for our listeners, because this is a really important thing. Because mm -hmm. a lot of these misconceptions drive the ship for a lot of people and it creates a lot of division or it can create a lot of division between us and society. And I think Absolutely. a lot of the division kind of uh, negatively impacts us because it affects how people perceive the New Age community, what it means to mm -hmm. be spiritual and uh, what it means to embody that life, you know? So yeah. we're just going to go go right into it, Jen. We, we, have, we right, both have kind of it. a list of what we're going to go through, but we might as well just kind of dive right in. These are common misconceptions that people have about what it means to be spiritual. Let's start with, uh, is spirituality learning something new or is it about improving who you are? What do you think, Jen? I think it's a little of both. I mean, yeah. I've learned a lot of new things in my spirit questing journey and um, I've learned a lot about myself and made positive changes for myself. So I think it's, I, I would say both. Okay, let me look at it from your perspective because I agree with you, but I want to put it in a context for some people. To me, it is not about improving. Doesn't mean you can't improve, but just hear me out with this one. Okay. So spirituality is not about improving. You cannot improve that which is already perfect. So more or less, uh, I guess, in Buddhism and Hinduism is about eliminating all the ideas that you are bound, and that you need to be improved, and that there's something wrong with you. And okay. I can say that you, you can definitely be improved. But spirituality to me is just more about a switch in perception between our common thoughts and beliefs about who you are to the actuality of what you are. So you can be improved, but it wouldn't be by gathering more spiritual information. I think when you lose all of your illusions, you gain everything through the realization of what is already there. Yeah, I feel like my, I feel like my improvements came from understanding the truth right? And not yeah. feeling as lost or having as many questions. You know, yeah. as, as you, knowledge is power, you, as you learn more and those changes just kind of naturally happen. It's not like I was going into, you know, the spiritual life to be a different person. That wasn't, right. that wasn't really the goal. Um, yeah. It was just to have a better understanding of the universe and everything around me. Exactly. And when you think of, uh, like you say, truth, right? And a lot of people think of, okay, well, well, truth is something that, that can be taught, but at the very core and the essence of who you are, organically, we, when we're operating from uh, love, which is the, the quality that we have as humans that is most natural to us, that is embodying truth. And in order to arrive to that place, I, at least from my perspective in spirituality, you need to give up a lot of things that are preventing you from accessing it. Yeah. And that's what I mean that's by true. unlearning and mm -hmm. not improving because you're already perfect because you're, you're made, of course, in the essence of God. So it's really about unlearning everything that you had been taught in school, you know, everything that you learned from your peers and from secondhand experiences. Because that's the one thing about school is that it, it teaches you how to be a contributing member to society teaches you how to be a student, somebody that's based off of what you contribute, your grades. You know, mm -hmm. it's more or less a capitalist type of society, but they don't necessarily teach you what it means to love and what it means to practice self-love. That's true. You know, that is very true. The, and school doesn't teach that. And I think the the role of parents in love is to mirror your own truth like your own true nature back at you. So if you feel safe and secure and confident in your ability to love, then chances are you'll be able to naturally embody that. But then, you know, there are people that experience sort of a loss of love because they haven't been taught that. 
And, you know, they experience something like a sense of distance from their true selves. But it already speaks to sort of this disconnect that people have with themselves. And I think what uh, spirituality teaches you is, is subtracting all of these sort of negative sort of con- concepts that we have about life, about what it means to be human, what it means to even be ourselves. And, you know, points us in the direction of something very simple, which is that sort of love that we have within us. And in order to really access that, you need to kind of peel through all the layers of all of the things that are preventing you from accessing it. So you can definitely be improved, but it's just the, the way that you perceive it, I think, is really, really important. You're improving by letting go and not improving through accumulation. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think the one thing that I notice is that the world teaches you how to be how to choose one polar opposite of two sides. The world teaches you either how to be narcissistic or it teaches you how to be codependent. So spirituality teaches you that you don't need to choose a side. Mm -hmm. You are all of those things. What we need to understand is how to use both our light and our shadows in a responsible way. Because if you're given too much love from your family, then that can create a sense of entitlement that can create disconnect with yourself. If you're not getting any love from your family, that can create the same type of disconnect. So you see how the pendulum swings really far in each direction. And I Mm -hmm. think when we approach spirituality, it teaches you how to find balance with all of those things and be solid and pure in yourself. And I think that is embodying your sort of yin and your yang energy and your light and your dark and your animus and your animal sort of archetypes, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I feel like spirituality, uh, uh, you, it's not necessarily about improving you, who you are by accumulating knowledge. This, according to Hindu philosophy, this is stuff that you already know because you already understand love. It's just all these things that we're taught somehow take us away from that. And so I definitely read books and I definitely learn, but Adi Ashanti would call it a remembrance in opposed to a learning. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I'm on board with that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I think one of the most common misconceptions I see is that you can't be wrong or have a bad day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just because you have a bad day doesn't make you not a spiritual person. And bad days also aren't permanent, right? Um, We all have bad days. We all react in ways that maybe we're not proud of. Um, That's Uh part of the human process, you know? Yeah. I definitely agreed. I've gone through that just experience of that. I, I think with uh, spirituality, it's like the, that sort of fundamental aspect of your personality may not leave you. Some people think that once they enter into spirituality, mm-hmm. that they're just going to be the, the nicest, most blissful person all the, all the time. time. And all the time. Yeah. You know, but that part of you can't be uh, disregarded. That shadow uh, is still in there and is a part of your evolution. Your ability to get angry and all the times that you've ever gotten angry in your life are a part of and contributed to the person that you are that even got to the place of awakening. Absolutely. And um, You have to I embrace that, your hardships and be honest with yourself about yeah. your, how you're feeling, right? Yeah. And that I is part that, of being spiritual is understanding that and feeling all the feels and, and having all those emotions. Yeah. I think the difference with is once you um, awaken, it's, it's now you have a choice as to whether to fall asleep or to stay awake. Mm-hmm. Because before you... Um, sort of touched on spirituality, you were asleep and you weren't conscious, you know? So a lot of the things that you were doing didn't have a sort of spiritual basis in the fact that maybe you weren't actively looking to learn from your anger. You weren't yeah. actively looking to use those opportunities for self-growth. You were just going around fucking shit up yeah. and uh, externalizing your happiness to other things and blaming other people for, you know, your your faults and your mistakes. But I think being spiritual is is a uh, is not denying the fact that you know you have this side in you and then and, and 
there are going to be people out there that piss you off or like steer you the wrong way. Mm -hmm. You may end up actually getting angry. And I think it's just about being aware in that moment as aware as you can, you know, as to not like fall victim to the chaos of that. But if you do find yourself actually getting angry in retrospect, if you're somebody that's spiritual, you're more than likely feel bad and you'll check in with yourself and say, okay, hey, how can I use this as an opportunity to be a better person? Right. You know what I mean? And, and there's a balance with that too, because you don't, you still need to set boundaries for yourself and for others, right? And you yeah. can still be a compassionate person. You can still be a spiritual person without being a doormat. So yeah. um, once again, it's, it's right back to balance. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the ultimate practice when it comes to, and I, 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 this one's really important, you know, people think that it just means that you're never going to experience pain or get angry at others. I think the, the ultimate practice in spirituality is choosing to stay awake by acknowledging the truth in every moment. I want to just clarify what I mean by truth, because I don't think that truth is a moral claim. I don't think it's a, a moral landscape. I just want to put this into perspective, because I promise I'll wrap this into kind of what we're talking about. But there's mm-hmm. this guy named Jordan Peterson. You're probably familiar with Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and he has a quote from his speech where he um, says, and actually stuck really, really true to me. And it says, it's truthful speech that generates habitable order from chaotic potential. And we do generate the world as a consequence of our communicative and collaborative effort. The world that we generate from the chaos of potential is habitable to the degree that the communication that we engage in is truthful. And if we create the world through our communication, both verbally and through action, we have a hand as creators in building the moral landscape through participation in love and not just as a statement for one to be good. So... I think what it means to, to be spiritual in this concept is being true doesn't necessarily mean always being good. It means that, you know, we embody all of the sort of feelings and emotions that come along with the human experience, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. And truth, uh, that, that is how we sort of gauge truth is just by our interaction with other people. So basically, in other words, we have a deeper intuitive sense of what is good through what feels most natural to us, which is to be loving. And I think that reciprocal sort of exchange between others um, validates this meaning because good things come from it. It makes us happy. It makes us healthy. It contributes to the well-being of the whole. Mm -hmm. And I think that once we operate from spirituality, we have more of an incentive to embody what is true, which is to be loving. And so whenever we find ourselves falling asleep and getting pissed off at somebody, Mm -hmm. we'll automatically know that we're coming from ego. We'll automatically know that there's disparity of love there. And so we'll feel more of an incentive after the fact to really check in with ourselves and use that as a practice for good, you know? Yeah. And anytime you're pissed off at someone or having some kind of hardship in your life, rather than dwelling on it, just sitting back and kind of taking it in, because sometimes things happen to clear the path for your next journey, not to destroy your path, right? Yeah. So it's important. It's important to kind of sit back and just kind of watch watch your life and maybe not react to every situation. Yeah. And speaking of reacting to every situation, this is uh, when we were making this list, I thought uh, a group that was uh, very affected by the whole, um, you're not allowed to have a bad day. You're not allowed to do something that uh, another member of your tribe would deem as inappropriate are Christians. So, oh, yeah. you know, uh, Christians probably get persecuted the most for having a bad day. Um, you do anything that you raise your voice a little and or get upset about something and someone else in your in your congregation is like, oh, that wasn't a Christian thing to do. Oh, she's not very Christian. Look at her, you know, and you see that a lot in the South. I think it's very interesting um, how everyone's quick to 
to judge how um, how close you are to God by the way that you are acting. And you know, yeah. there's there's certainly a correlation between being um, uh, being a spiritual person and doing the right thing and being a good person. And there are those people that profess to be, you know, to be a Christian, to be spiritual, to be whatever, and are just piece of shit human beings <laughs> that, you know, um, don't walk the walk and, but certainly talk the talk, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought it's an, I, I thought that that was interesting. That was the first thing that, that came to mind. You know, everybody makes yeah. mistakes and, yeah. and it doesn't matter if you're Christian, if you're spiritual or whatever, you're not going to be perfect a hundred percent of the time. And you yeah. shouldn't be judged for that. And it doesn't make yeah. you any less of a person if you have a bad day, if you make a mistake, because we're all going to yeah. do that. And that's a perfect example of how the pendulum, once you, um, I guess, claim to be spiritual or religious, you want to choose a side. Mm-hmm. That side being, okay, well, I want to come from good all the time. And so it becomes sort of like this personal belief driven by your your values and whatever dogma you happen to participate in. And then you feel compelled to impose, you know, your, your judgments on other people without actually realizing that every single person has an entirely different life. Yeah. And that's how you know you're coming from ego when it comes to spirituality, at least from my perspective, is that it'll never ask you to take a side. It'll never ask you to ridicule somebody for having mm-hmm. a bad day. Exactly. I think when you're operating from love, when you're operating from true spirituality, you acknowledge that this is a part of the world that we live in, which is getting angry. You know, you may hurt others from time to time. You even, you may even hurt yourself. You may argue with your wife or your boyfriend. You may even curse at mm-hmm. some car pulling in front of you. You may even call somebody a bitch. Yeah. I think the Get difference the fuck out is of the way, that. Bitch. Maybe you'll yeah. do it all in one sentence. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think the difference is that instead of feeling ashamed, feeling, you know, things like prolonged guilt or resisting the shadow elements of your personality, you'll instead accept and acknowledge and embrace the teaching and lessons that come along with hurting someone else. You know, Absolutely. you can use that as a way to check in with yourself. So I think spirituality versus, and we can get into this a little later, there's a really big difference between spiritual, being spiritual and being religious, right? Because the people that you're talking about in the church, more or less religious people, right? Because they ascribe to some level of beliefs, but spirituality isn't a set of beliefs. It's a practice. It's a philosophy. Mm-hmm. It is something that is individual to every single person. And mm-hmm. so looking at things from love, you're acknowledging the fact that everybody is on their own sort of journey, learning what this shit is all about on their own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it allows you to not take things like that personal because you realize more or less that it's, it's not about you. So you allow others to believe what they want and to practice what they want and to just take radical accountability for your own actions mm-hmm. and learn from them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Spirituality is not synonymous with religion but it's also not synonymous with lack thereof. You can be a Christian and also have spiritual beliefs. I mean, we had somebody on our show that it was a Christian, Christian, mm-hmm. Alyssa, right? And, um, or vice versa, you can be a spiritual spiritual person and not be a Christian. Um, yeah. You can pretty much do anything you want to do, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can believe anything the, you want to believe. Yeah, I think the contrast with somebody that's asleep is that maybe somebody will get angry and mm-hmm. instead of taking accountability for their actions, they'll project it on somebody else. They'll be like, yeah. this is your fault. Yeah. You know, they'll, 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 they'll stomp all over and just shit on somebody else and they will never acknowledge their part in that. That yeah. is what, that is, that is the toxic part of anger. Mm-hmm. But even in Buddhism, they talk, they, they teach you about how to approach anger in a healthy way because they acknowledge that a part of the, the life that we live, it's going to happen. We yeah. have an ego that we can't separate fully from. And so when that anger comes, the best thing you can do is take radical accountability. So I think that's the contrast. 
It's when you're operating from being asleep, you blame everybody else for your anger. When you operate from being awake, you take accountability for your anger and maybe apologize, Mm -hmm. express forgiveness and compassion for, you know, the other person. Mm -hmm. And you don't project it onto others, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the quickest way to save a relationship is to apologize. Apologize and take responsibility. You'd be surprised how many people, that's all, all that they want. They just want to feel validated. They want to feel heard and they want an apology. A heartfelt one, not like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's not a fucking apology. (laughs) Yeah. And that's that's one thing that I've experienced a lot in the past, you know, because I'm a human being and I get angry sometimes and I try and limit that as much as possible. But I've been with people where it's like you sort of like unleash that certain side of you and give it, I'm not like a a, a person that does it in a toxic way, but I do get angry. Mm -hmm. And you hear that from time to time where it's like, well, I thought you were a healer. I thought you were a spiritual person. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. That I'm, that I'm suddenly just. Not human. Not going to be exposed to anything that involves the shadow. One thing that people need to realize is that the majority of people that become healers, the majority of people that enter into the new age community don't do it because they're perfect. Mm -hmm. They do it because they probably have enormous amounts of trauma that they're trying to sort through and heal from. And lots of issues that we, you know, a lot of people may not know about. And what makes them different is the fact that they are diving headfirst into wanting to understand why these things exist. Mm -hmm. And instead of resisting the shadow that a lot of people that are asleep do, we acknowledge the fact that the shadow was there. And instead of suppressing it or resisting it, we want to look into it and understand what it's about. So when I get angry, it absolutely probably hurts me more than it hurts them. But the one thing that I heard, one thing I hear a lot is just like, you know, you're a healer. You shouldn't get angry. You should just be happy all the time. I'm like, well, what, what world are you living in? Because yeah. I don't live in that world. No, no, you know? no one lives in that world. Yeah. And if you're suppressing, if you're suppressing your shadow, like, and you're not trying to heal it, just bottling those emotions up inside and not, and not bring them to the forefront and not having a, a conversation about them. I mean, it, all that does is fester. Yeah. It's like a nasty wound and it just festers inside. Yeah. Guess what? It opens up at the worst times. <laughs> yeah. And that's what a lot <laughs> of the later. chaos we experience comes from, which is our resistance yeah. to those things. And that's what I think that's what the falling, being asleep is, is, is resistance to what is, what is, what the actuality of reality, which is the fact that this crazy shit exists. And spirituality is about acknowledging the fact that it does and accepting it and actively working on being less angry. Yeah. 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 So it. another one here, as we make our way down, this list, Jen, does right. it, the misconception number three, we're not numbering these, but I think that's the number <laughs> one that we're on. Does, uh, it, when we become spiritual, spirituality has this tendency to destroy the ego. So a lot of people go through this thing of like, oh yeah, to be spiritual means that you will completely just curb your ego, will disappear, it'll take all its shit and leave like an ex-boyfriend, and you'll <laughs> never ever hear it again, hear from it again. Right. Yeah, and so no, doesn't work I think, like that. What I have to say about this one is mostly spirituality creates the illusion of no ego and as a byproduct of that creates an even stronger one. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't destroy something that's helped assist you in awakening to the understanding of what ego is. So this idea that somehow once you awaken to spirituality, the ego just disappears is really unrealistic. And the main issue that I have with this misconception is that there are a lot of people out there that realistically believe that the ego disappears and they will go all over YouTube making YouTube videos talking about all these different strategies as to how yeah. to destroy it. 
standing on you a know, tree stump at a festival, giving yeah. a little talk on how they don't have an ego anymore. Yeah, I've had straight up like conversations that? with people that are like, yeah, my, you know, my, my ego's not here anymore and I don't get myself involved with ego. And the issue that I have is that, so they start projecting that onto other people, which is like, oh, you have ego and I don't. Yeah, exactly. And this is how, this is why I said at the beginning here, where spirituality creates the illusion of no ego and as a byproduct creates an even stronger one. I think I mentioned this quote on the last yeah. podcast with, uh, with Ramona, which is thinking that you could eliminate the ego is the biggest ego trip there is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will get a lot of miles out of telling people that they don't have an ego, but that in and of itself is coming from ego, yeah. right? Because uh, spirituality will never, never claim that. I think your ego is your vehicle in the 3D and awareness is essentially the driver. You know, it mm-hmm. assists you in life, but it's not who you are. I think the goal with spirituality is to understand the functions and the limitations of ego by perceiving from awareness. Because once we understand the limitations of ego, then we'll stop relying on it to answer spiritual questions that can't be answered, only experienced. Mm-hmm. You know, we think that we are the, we think that we're the ego. And I think that's, that's the issue. Once we um, start going further along in our practice, we start to create space between the spiritual aspect of who we are and the ego. And I yeah. think uh, a part of at least my practice is you get to a point where you're exhausting the ego and you realize that no amount of inquiry with the ego is ever going to come up with facts about how the universe works or what true spirituality is. And once you get to that point and you realize that the ego is limited in its understanding, you realize that it can only help you survive, it can help you eat, it can help you wake up in the morning, it can help you stay alive, but it can't understand and comprehend the magnitude of God. Mm-hmm. It can't truly understand the magnificence of what awareness is. And once you fully understand that, you'll stop bothering it with all of your crazy questions, mm-hmm. right? You'll stop trying to escape into your ego in order to run away from yourself. Right. That's essentially, I think, why that inquiry happens, why those questions happen. Once people start awakening to spirituality, they automatically want to go and run back into ego because what ego does is it accumulates information. It gives us a sense of safety in the unknown. But true spirituality is about diving headfirst into the unknown and staying there and allowing yourself to be open and present to whatever the moment calls for. Once you start operating, I think, from awareness, you start seeing the ego as something that a lot of people just turn to in order to run away. I think once you understand the limitations of the ego, you'll stop running away to it because you realize it can never, ever give you the answers that you desire. So what naturally happens is your ego just starts to shut the fuck up and you start becoming quiet and you stop bothering it with questions. You stop asking it what God is. You stop saying, this is who I am. This is who I represent. And you just allow it to freely move with whatever moment you happen to be in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your ego is not an STD that you need to get rid of. Yeah. You know what I mean? I love that. It's not an STD that you need to get rid of. You just have to accept the fact that you just have this STD. You know yep. what I mean? You got to collaborate. It's just part of it. you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a part of you. Yeah. There are a lot of dudes out there wandering around with HPV. And, <laughs> you know, it's one of those of things too. that like they tell you, like, even though, you know, you don't got any symptoms, it's still lingering around in there somewhere. It's still, it's still in there. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to just accept the fact that that happens and just learn to collaborate with it. I, I'm, I'm talking out of my ass. I'm being facetious, but it's kind of yeah, like that yeah. same sort of parable exists. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You cannot separate yourself from the ego because that ego is probably the most intimate aspect of who you are that assisted you in getting to where you're at right now. If anything, Absolutely. it was like your, it was like the friend that helped you get to the place of awakening. And then once you've woken up, you can objectively look at the ego and be like, okay, 
you're a pal, but you're not my master. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're a pal, but you're not the boss of my shit. That's right. So it becomes uh, somebody to collaborate with. So if you ever find yourself speaking to somebody that says, you know, ego death, ego disappear. I think maybe one of the reasons why this happens, Jen, is because people have unbelievable experiences on plant medicine, right? Yeah. They have unbelievable experiences through meditation where that sense of ego completely drops away. Yeah. Right? For and that say moment. If you lived in right. a, and if you lived in an alternate universe, if you permanently lived in that universe of no ego, which is more than likely the place that me and you are going to go back to. Yeah. Right? That's that's, diff- that's one thing. Yeah. But you can't stay there. Right. Right? Ram Dass has this quote that says, you can have the darshan of Christ, but you can't stay there. That's what that the, the sort of psychedelic experience that he talks about is speaking to. Mm-hmm. But the part that we get wrong is thinking that because we experience that sense of no ego, that when we come back to regular everyday life, it's going to be the same. It's like, no, it's not going to be the same. That ego sort of creeps back in and you have to just learn to collaborate with it. I think that's where a lot of that sort of misconception comes because we normally don't get to experience a complete loss of ego. And then when that sort of thing hammers away at you and you get the, the sense of like, oh, wow, this is what the ego is and it just completely disappears. It excites a lot of people and people want to recreate that process in real life. But unless yeah. you want to take that little piece of consciousness out of your brain, you're not going to be able to do it. That was, that was a deep one. That was a deep one. I'm going to break this up with one that is very superficial. <laughs> a, a misconception of spiritual people is that you have to do yoga. You have to be a vegan or a vegetarian or drink tea. Or drink tea? Yeah. These are all very common misconceptions. You can be spiritual and uh, you can have these things in common with your spiritual friends, right? Or maybe you don't have them in common and that's mm-hmm. okay. It's yeah. it, just like some people don't like to lift weights. Some people don't like yoga. Mm-hmm. I personally, I don't like yoga. There I said it. I don't like it. You don't I'm, like the yoga? I, well, this I is am the thing. This- stiff like a, a Dorito chip. I cannot touch my toes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm very stiff. I could certainly benefit from it, right? Um, yeah. But anytime I've been in a yoga class, it's like borderline embarrassing. And I fucking hate hot yoga. There's nothing worse Big than room. being in a stinky ass room with people flinging their sweat on you. No right. thanks. Well, well I, I have contrasting ideas, but I completely agree with you. It doesn't it, be, Being spiritual doesn't mean that you need to like yoga. But I want to ask you, because I'm coming, from, I'm coming at this from a certain perspective. Mm-hmm. At what point do we stop doing yoga? Okay. There are people that do yoga on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and then there True. are people that do yoga in every single waking hour, waking hour of their life. All totally. yoga means, yeah. the word yoga means in union. The whole practice of yoga is so that your body and your spirit are integrated. Are connected, yeah. Right, because yeah. what are Absolutely. you doing when you're doing yoga? You're in these positions, and of course, there are, you're doing downward dog, you're doing plank pose, you're doing you know half moon, all this stuff. But in the moment that you're doing yoga, there's an attention to whatever it is that you're doing. You're connecting your awareness and your spirit with your body. Mm-hmm. All it's doing Absolutely. is learning, uh, you're practicing integration with your mind and your heart, your awareness, and your body. And, so, and you don't have to do yoga to do that, right? There's other ways that you can have a connection to spirit, uh, mind, body, soul without doing yoga. So don't no. feel like just because all your friends do yoga and love yoga, if you don't like that and that's not your thing, don't fucking do it. Like, or it's not, it doesn't make you less spiritual. You're not a less spiritual person because you don't enjoy those things. Yoga can yeah. be integrated into every little thing that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Could be. It could be. And, and the whole veganism and vegetarian thing, that's a really tough one because people feel very, this is a very polarizing topic. 
But I will say this. I'll say that meat has been a longstanding part of the human diet in, in some areas of the country. Hunter-gatherers, some people ate meat, some people didn't. Just kind of depends on where your ancestors were coming from, right? Mm-hmm. But as long as you're appreciating and being grateful for your food, no matter where it comes from, and eating what feels good for your body, then you're living in, in alignment with yourself and with the universe. So mm-hmm. it's, it's about gratitude for the animal's life that you are eating and being grateful for, um, for the sacrifices to nourish your body. Yeah. So I think the one thing that I'm, I'm hearing from the yoga piece and the one thing I'm hearing from someone's dietary sort of preferences mm-hmm. is that a lot of people have misconceptions that you have to choose one or the other. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like as far as the yoga piece, what comes to me just to, to, to trace back at that one really quick before I talk about the food one, that is one way to become more intimately involved with yourself, which is mm-hmm. yoga, because yeah. there is a loving intention behind it. Absolutely. It is, it is created and organized in such a way that you could become more intimately close to awareness and your own sort of uh, your own self. So it's something that's actually a lot easier because, you know, the practice of Hinduism, uh, yoga being a part of that for thousands of years. So they have that whole practice down to a science. They can organically lead you through the process of how that, how that leads you to awakening, right? But there are some people that have different various ways of connecting with themselves. Mm -hmm. So Somebody that likes to cook and is yeah. completely present with the whole practice of cooking, that is yoga, yeah. right? Somebody that That's plays a guitar. type of meditation. That yeah. is a meditation, exactly. Somebody that likes to play guitar and make music, mm-hmm. that is a form of yoga. That is meditation, right? Mm-hmm. So you can create anything. Everything is a spiritual experience. It's not about what it is that you do that's spiritual. It's about how it is that you do it. And it's I feel about like the, the more spiritual you become, the more you notice the little things in life and enjoy and love every single moment. And appreciate yeah. everything around you, right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah, yeah. get excited about uh, nice tomatoes. You know, I'll be in the grocery store and I'm like, oh, look at this fucking tomato. This is a good <laughs> one. <You know? laughs> this juicy ass tomato. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And then <clears throat> the part that you were talking about with the food, I don't think it's about telling somebody what they can and can't eat. <clears throat> I mean, there are some aspects of the human diet where it, everybody's so different, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody reacts to food it's hard to quantify what is good for you and what isn't i think the reason why that whole meat thing came into the field is because we have factory farming we are completely irresponsible with Mm -hmm. animals right and this leads to this sort of unconscious behavior that we don't even see the face of the animal once we eat it Mm -hmm. we don't have any involvement with killing the animal we don't understand what it feels like to take the life of an animal And so we become completely disconnected with where these things come from. I think that is the point. This is the reason why this came into the field for a lot of people, which is it is a different process to kill your own animal, which I mean, I get get that it's not practical to do that in society. But what I'm speaking to is you will show appreciation for something if you were involved in taking its life. If you know what it feels like to take that away, you will be more grateful and be more mindful of the decisions that you make as long as you understand fully where this where's this coming from, what this this thing had to give up in order to nourish your body. I think true spiritual true spirituality is about being mindful of the things that you do and not falling asleep. Yes. To them, you know. Yeah. And and being grateful for their sacrifice. You know, my dad, he um and once again you guys know from the south. And they, uh, my dad has a cow and him and his business partner have this cow and it roams on the land where their shop is and eats and hangs out and they feed it a special diet and all these things. And, um, that cow, uh, at the end of the year gets slaughtered and they use the meat 
to have meat for the entire year. So yeah. they split this cow and actually it's, it's more meat than, you know, two people can eat. So they, you know, will give away other meat to, to friends and, and family members. But, um, that's where they get their meat for the entire year is this one cow that they raise. Yeah. So, and, and that's and kind of their, the, yeah, their cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember I got this uh, mala bracelet years ago and I got it from this Tibetan Buddhist shop in Pasadena. And I remember going to the cash, the, the cashier stand and asking um, her, well, what is this? What are these made out of? Because they, they make them out of different elements mm-hmm. in nature. Yeah. Sometimes they're made out of wood. Sometimes they're made out of different things. And I was surprised when the woman told me it's made out of yak bone. Oh. Right? Yak mm-hmm. bone. And I was like, well, I thought that the Buddhists were vegetarian. They're like, well, they are, but they're a nomadic tribe. So mm-hmm. uh, these yaks, they're used to transport you know, their belongings to and from whatever it is that they go. You know, a lot of Tibetans were living in exile for a long time, so they were nomads just wandering around. Yeah. And once the yak approaches old age and it dies, they use every part of that yak. Every part of it. Including Mm -hmm. their bone and including the meat. Yeah. Right? So And their hide and everything. Yeah. Everything. Every little piece of that. So I I think it's, I mean, if you study like um, Eastern, like Hinduism, of course, they have cows roaming they're like their cities in Rishikesh, like in Hardwar, like you see cows, they see them as very sacred. They don't actually, they're vegetarian because they believe, you know, instead of eating a cow, you can have a lifetime's worth of milk. Mm -hmm. They have their own reasons for being vegetarian. And I think the deepest part of me, Jen, I think vegetarian is the way to go, but Mm -hmm. I'm not going to impose that on somebody else that wants to eat meat because, you know, if everything comes from God and you have various different types of people in the world that come from God. I don't necessarily think that those things are off limits. What I really, really, truly believe is in the practice of being conscious and aware of what it is that you're mm-hmm. agreeing to when you do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I 100% agree. Yeah. It doesn't make you any better or any less. Your diet does not make you a better person or a worse person. Yeah. So. Like when, when people ask me if I'm uh, a vegetarian, or yeah, because I, I was practicing veganism for a long time. And I remember people used to tell me like, are you vegan? And I say, no, I just eat fruits and vegetables. Because yeah. <laughs> we get so lost in these sort of um, concepts like about what it means and, to be vegan. Yeah. And um, I don't think that's really the point. I think the point is just because if you're in the forest alone, what are you going to die for your values? You yeah. know, like if you're in the forest alone and you need to survive, like what are you going to do? Does God want you to die because you don't believe in eating meat? You know, and, you know, I yeah, and I I'm not going to read every single label to make sure that there's not gelatin in it, and I'm going to do my best. Do I'm going to do my best, you know, and yeah. I'm going to eat eggs. Yeah. Never really understood that about the Huevos. veganism and not eating eggs. Well, vegetarians eat eggs. Yeah, vegetarians do, but vegans don't, and I, it doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt the animal, so I don't. Yeah. I never really understood that, and they're not fertilized yeah. eggs. So yeah. So the next one that we have here is once we awaken, or the misconception is that once we reach enlightenment, we withdraw from society. Withdraw meaning, you know, we have all heard that sort of archetypal uh, image of uh, that wandering ascetic that leaves their family in order to be a wandering sadhu in the Himalayan mountains. Yeah, that's. Right? I feel like that's more like kundalini awakening and less like spiritual awakening. Just yeah. regular ass run in the mill spiritual awakening, you know. Well, I want to I want to dive into this because this is something I think that's really important for people that would consider themselves urban yogis, right? Mm-hmm. Because those stories are from old sort of Hindu stories of people that lived in India and they left their families to go escape to not escape but to to Nepal or Tibet to live in the Himalayas. Well, 
how does that come about for somebody that lives in the fucking smack dab in the middle of Los Angeles? Yeah. So I think the misconception is that we should be like Buddha and live the life of a hermit or an ascetic and escape the sort of clutches of, you know, desire, sin, temptation, things like that. You know, Buddha was only 24, 25 years old when he left his wife. I did not know that. I didn't realize he was that young. Yeah. And some people may do this. You know, some people that experience awakening, they may, they may decide to just up and leave their job here in in California. They may decide to just sell off all their belongings. But I think in today's world, it's not sustainable uh, of a practice to do in the Western world. And this is why. We see sadhus in India, and in India is more or less, I want to say, like a socialist democracy, and it's been around for more than 2,000 years. Our, what, our nation's only, what, 200 years old? So we're not even close to operating at that level. So they acknowledge in India their spiritual journey as being a part of everyday existence mm-hmm. and the highest teaching. So collectively, yeah. as, a, as a people, they acknowledge that whole practice of renouncing that life and escaping to the mountains. They acknowledge that as a part of their society. So they allow those people to stay on the land for free, tax-free, and they almost have an obligation to feed. They call them wandering ascetics and sadhus in India. So it's worked into their culture. If you want to decide to up and leave, they are totally supportive of that. Now in the Western world, you're uh, you're more than likely going to become a transient walk in the streets. Yeah, you're living you're living in a tent city. I mean, yeah. here's you don't need to live in Tibet to be a spiritual person, right? You know, you can stay in your normal ass job and your normal life and maybe that's part of your journey and that's maybe that's how you inspire others in your journey is leading by example and talking about your practices and helping raise the the frequency of of just normal people and yeah. being you are the bridge to them relating to a spiritual practice. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there's something to be said about people that decide to stay within their densely populated communities and practice spirituality. Because just like you Mm -hmm. said, it's an inward journey. Geographical location is not necessary. Mm -hmm. Everything and anything around you can become a teaching. You have a partner that's toxic. That's a teaching. You have an addiction. That's a teaching. You know, you struggle how to communicate in large groups. That's a teaching. These are all things that you experience when you're in large cities, Mm -hmm. right? So spirituality is, is, is about where you're at and how you respond in every given moment. You know, I think, I think those that practice their spirituality, uh, like amongst like a machine so loud, so unforgiving can be the highest teaching of probably all of them. In some ways it's even more spiritual than somebody that's deciding to live in the mountains when you're not being affected by anything that can test you except for nature. (laughs) Exactly. You know, like the city can test you in ways that, that you, you absolutely wouldn't even imagine to experience in the quiet sort of tranquil spaces in the mountains. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Let me There's tell you, what's testing me this morning around 5 a.m. was fucking Zeppelin. Oh, he cat? has been getting up at 5 a.m. every morning and doing this number. And then climbing the curtains and waking the dogs up and making them bark. Like you yeah. can hear their barking now. Yeah. And oh, from me gosh. making that cat noise, they thought that it was him. So, oh, yeah. So this is yeah. what we're going through every night between four and five in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And so that, that became, that can become sort of a discipline. Cause I know we've had this discussion before, Jim, where it's like, oh shit, that does it. And it interrupts your sleep. It interrupts your, uh, sort of like personal space of, of peace. And so that ego automatically rushes in and is like that motherfucking cat. You either you go it. through anger or you go through resistance. It's either one of those two things, and those two things are something that spirituality, those are one of the biggest catalysts for awakening, right? There's this quote by Ram Dass that I really, really like, and it says, you think you're enlightened, try spending a weekend with your family. So, Yes, during the holidays. Try during that the shit. holidays. 
Yeah. Or you think you're enlightened, try spending some time with like your nephew's kids. They don't give a fuck how spiritual you are. No, they don't. Right. When they're climbing the the door frames and screaming like little banshees and chasing each other around. Yeah. Yeah. They don't give a fuck. Yeah. So it it doesn't mean that you're going to run off into the woods. It just means that whatever it is that you do and whatever city that you happen to live, if you're operating from awareness, you see opportunities for growth in everything. Mm -hmm. And it may actually test you more and you may even grow amongst the chaos. And you know, you brought up something about earthly possessions, right? Like you don't have to be a minimalist to be spiritual. Although every object does have energy and does take up energy in your space. Um, but it's more about being grateful and remembering that your material things don't make you who you are. They're simply just earthly comforts, right? Yeah. Uh, I used to work with a guy and he told me, he said, you know where you want to be. You want to be in a place where you own your stuff and your stuff doesn't own you. And I thought that was so profound because um, during that time in my life, I was like feeling very overwhelmed and had a bunch of shit and had this house that I was remodeling. And I was like, what for? I live by myself. Why, am, why do I have all this shit? Yeah. So the, uh, owning this, it's a really, really important one. A lot of people have just misconceptions about like, you know, you'll, you'll being spiritual means you'll start disliking material things and possessions, things like that. And I think that's owning true. material things was never the issue. No. Right. It's how mm-hmm. we identify with these things, these material things that creates the issue for us. Ding, you know, ding, you can ding. give an expensive mm-hmm. pair of shoes to a homeless kid that needs shoes and you'll see appreciation, right? You mm-hmm. can give that same pair of shoes to somebody overly attached to material wealth and see entitlement, judgments, and, and, and issues of self-worth, mm-hmm. right? It's not yeah. about giving up material things. I think awareness sees through the illusion and the game of material identification. That's pretty much all it is. You know, instead of ju- instead of judging your self-worth by what you have, you allow yourself to possess things without over-attaching any sort of status or self-worth with it. Yeah. You know, like the one thing that comes up for me is is Osho, right? A lot of people get super wound around the axle when they learn that Osho actually owned 90 Rolls-Royce cars. Oh, he did? Right? I didn't know that. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, and he got a lot of shit from the public uh, about that. And given, I would never advise anybody to have 90, 90 Rolls-Royce cars, but this is this is what's profound about this, is that he never takes ownership for even one. Um, I watched this interview that he was having with uh, somebody that was asking him these questions. He says his followers wanted to purchase them for him. And he thought, if it made them happy, who is he to say that they shouldn't do that for him? Mm-hmm. And he thought if it made them happy, then that should be fine. So the interviewer asked, well, why not donate your money to charity? And Osho says, you know, there are enough religions out there that are helping the poor. Let them do their business in helping the poor and allow me to do my business by helping the rich, right? So it was just an angle that he was using to get through the conditioning of the materialist society that we're a part of because that whole community was Mm -hmm. in Oregon. That was in the West, right? The only way to do that in the West is to integrate things like wealth into the sort of social landscape. Uh So how I saw that he did this is that we had a talk a while back on our podcast about People in the, like when I would do sound baths and if I did a sound bath for free, it didn't seem like people appreciated it that much. Mm-hmm. When I started charging people for it, they attach a certain value to that practice and it means something entirely different. The goal isn't to completely abolish wealth. Right. It is acknowledging the necessity of it in life. Osho's approach was that he knew that it was going to be a part of their conditioning no matter what, because that's how people grow up in the West. This is another thing too, which is like we associate spirituality in a lot of ways with poverty. Like, oh, you become spiritual automatically. You should just live the life of just this wandering ascetic with nothing but a coffee cup in your hand and no possessions at all. A hundred percent. You don't have to be poor and suffer to prove that you're a spiritual person. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, your basic needs still have to be met. And we are human beings living on the planet Earth, right? And everything on this planet, it costs money. And if you're not meeting your basic needs, you're interrupting what you need to learn on your spiritual process because you're forced to worry about food, water, shelter, and sex, you know? And that's not that's not going to get you anywhere. You're not going to grow if you're focused on, you know, your basic needs. Yeah, the the the, the thing isn't like you're not you're not going to stop wanting to be happy. You're not going to start you're not going to mm-hmm. stop wanting to, you know, like why shouldn't you be given the ability to live like royalty? You know, no not and, and I think I really have to like really be careful here because I'm not saying that you should completely lose yourself in material things. I'm talking about you can still have $10,000 and not be attached to it. Yeah. You know, how do you quantify joy without attachment? You know, yeah. it isn't about how much money you have. It's, it's about whether you can still enjoy material things and not be attached to them. I think that is the, the toxic part, which is people get super overly identified. They identify their ego, their sense of self, their sense of self-love with material things, and they completely fall asleep. I think you can still be wealthy and you can still have the things that you want mm-hmm. and not bother yourself with overly attaching yourself to them, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it kind of goes, goes along with your personality too. If you are naturally a super ambitious person and even, even from the time you were a little kid, you had, you know, your lemonade stand and you were always hustling and, you know, just an ambitious little, little Sprite, you know, that, that is not going to change all of the sudden because you've become spiritual. You're still going to be who you are at your core. So money, just like everything else in the universe carries an energy and that energy can either be used for good or bad. Right. So depending on how you want to use it. So if you're using the money that's coming into your existence for good things, there's no reason why you shouldn't enjoy it. Yeah. There's no reason. And so don't beat the, yourself up. Yeah. And another thing to clarify about the Osho thing is that he took really good care of his, his community. Mm-hmm. Because I think what a lot of people, they have a negative affiliation with money, money because of the Christian churches, right? Yeah. These evangelical churches that yeah. essentially oppress their own community they press their own followers, yet still ask them for money to contribute to the church. And who gets that money? The fucking pastors get it. Exactly. Right? A lot of yeah. them don't put that money back into the community. The difference between Osho is that he took the money and he distributed it amongst his community and they were happy, mm-hmm. right? And they wanted to do something nice for him, which is if, he wanted, if, if they wanted to buy him cars, he was like, I'm not going to say no to them. Yeah. He doesn't have the same sort of affiliation with material things that other people think. Osho doesn't think, oh, I have 90 cars. Osho thinks if it makes them happy to buy those for me, I'm not going to tell them not to do it because it means yeah. something to them. Right. You know? Yeah. I think that's, that's uh, really, really important. So I think the point is, isn't to ostracize the people that are wealthy or people that want to buy themselves nice things. One thing that I do notice is that I think the reason why people have a negative affiliation in the spiritual community with people that are wealthy is because they meet a lot of assholes that are. True. You know, they meet yeah. a lot of like bonehead people out there that are judging them for not having enough money or not earning more than, you know, six figures per year. Like we live in that type of society where people will straight up judge you for not, for judge you based off of what you make. And of oh, course, yeah. oh yeah, that is definitely bad. And those are punk asses, but not all people are like that. Not all you, people are punk asses. Yeah. And if this is something that you're really struggling with, maybe there's a shadow inside you that needs to be examined because there's a, a very good chance that the person that you're looking at, you're just witnessing manifestation at its finest. Maybe this person has been manifesting uh, a career and success and has worked really fucking hard to be where they are. 
you know? Yeah. So do your best not, not to be so damn judgy, you know? Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. All right, so let's go on to the next one. We may need to we may we may need to make this into a series. We'll try to get to as many as we can, but I think we can probably do another second episode on this because these are some important ones to talk through. Uh, so another one that I have is to be spiritual, you need to have a spiritual teacher or a guru. Yeah, right? those days are to, long gone. Just like you don't have to after COVID, um, everybody figured out you don't have to be in the fucking office every day. You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. It was one of those things mm-hmm. that in in. Obviously, it is it is an antiquated thing because a lot of these mm-hmm. teachings that come from the East, their rules were like, oh yeah, you sit at a feet of a mass for twelve years, and then all that information is open. But we have the we're in the informational age. A lot of those teachings you can find online, yeah. And we have a different relationship to the guru, where I can actually sit at the feet of a master in India through fucking Skype if I want to, or through yeah. YouTube. Mm-hmm. And those gurus, they acknowledge that that's the way that the world is moving. So. There's and not actually just one this, guru, as many as you as many as you want. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's it's definitely not it's not required. This one specifically is, you know, do you have to follow a spiritual teacher or a guru, which is follow. There's a YouTube channel that I found the other the other day called Nirvana. And uh, there was this mystic named Devi who was talking about um, Osho's followers. He talked about Osho's followers being um, tethered to things like contradictions and hypocrisy. Because people like Osho or Muji or any type of spiritual teacher that's out there right now, um, they don't ask for followers, you know? And mm-hmm. so their followers engage their teaching, which is about self-inquiry and not blindly following anyone or taking anyone's experience as their own. This is where the contradiction happens. Somebody like Osho or somebody like Muji, what they're trying to do and their relationship to spirituality is very different, even at the, the student-teacher level. They don't ask for followers. They don't want followers. They don't want you to just listen to what they say and believe in what they say. They want you to absorb what they say and apply it to your apply own life yeah. and inquire with yourself how it impacts you and how it impacts your life. So the mm-hmm. second you say you follow somebody else, you almost automatically miss the point of spirituality. Yeah. It's not about following somebody. It's about acknowledging somebody for where they're at in their journey and seeing how it applies to your life, what you can extract from it and how it applies to you. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to me that a lot of these, a lot of these spiritual gurus, like they, they never ask for ashrams. They never ask for followers. People just come to them and they create that, that perspective and the idea and that belief in their own mind, which is more or less created by ego that says, I am your follower. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those spiritual gurus will use that um, as a way to, to awaken them by helping them realize that um, they're no different than you. They just have a different spiritual perspective and their goal is to help you awaken to your own inward guru. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? True spirituality and, and gurus, they don't want to create new beliefs. They want you to find for yourself. It's about radical accountability. So if you follow mm-hmm. someone else, it, there's a chance that that may actually become a trap. Your seeking will not assist you in reaching enlightenment. Love will. Seeking is looking for something to grasp and to take ownership over, but love will allow you to see the teaching in all of things. Because the thing cool. is... Um, and I think there was another one that I wanted to talk about that was very, very similar to this one. Yeah. So this is this is the one thing that I, I find really, really interesting about this. And it's, we have to be really, really careful. For when I say love is the one that inquires and seeking doesn't, if we attach ourselves to a certain denomination of faith, say we call ourselves a follower of Christianity, say we call ourselves a follower of Buddha, 
there's a chance that you could get yourself so worked up over the concepts of what it means to be Christian or what it means to be Buddha that you're not able to hear the message Mm -hmm. of Hinduism. You're not able to hear the message of Buddha. You're not able to hear the message of Christ. So when we're operating from love, when we're operating from awareness, awareness sees all God and everything. Mm -hmm. So if we allow love to do the inquiry, if we allow love to do the seeking, then we'll be able to listen to the teachings of Christ and also listen to the teachings of Buddha and also listen to the teachings of Krishna and Shiva and all those things because you're not looking at religion in a sort of dogmatized, sort of separate way. So I think it's really, really important. I think um, spirituality is about awakening to that certain part of you that acknowledges the whole. Absolutely, yeah. It's an organic, natural part of who you are. Yeah. And then, let's see. So we have another one, a few things here. Oh yeah, this one's good. Does life become complicated, difficult, or hard after awakening? Or does enlightenment mean that we will be blissed out all of the time? And I think we kind of touched on this uh, within a few of the different ones that we've had. Yeah, I want to talk about this one because the ego seems to have a problem where it can't accept how simple enlightenment is. And instead it creates this sort of these unnecessary dualities between spiritual and non-spiritual as a conquest to be explored. I think we feel that enlightenment should be earned. So the ego trap of awakening is that ego thinks that it should look a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. It needs validation from our ideas uh, of what it means to be spiritual, to reinforce that it's working for us. And I think we somehow uh, need to convince ourselves that it's working. And this becomes another block to awakening. This is something that we kind of touched about before, which is it's just assumed that once you uh, get into spirituality that you're just going to be happy all the time. And it's just unrealistic. I think spirituality is more about just taking owner, ownership over your own behavior and yeah. fully acknowledging how you impact other people. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You, uh, you can still embrace your hardships and be honest with yourself about how you're feeling and be fe- spiritual at the same time. I mean, there's, there's going to be hard times. There's going to be shadow. There's, you're not going to be happy all the time. Some days you're going to wake up and you're not going to want to meditate and you're going to be like, oh, I'm just not into it today. Yeah. You know, and that's totally normal. Everybody goes through that. Yeah. And you see a lot of people that I would consider almost like spiritual bypassers that are just going around acting as if they're happy all the time. Yeah. And this is really, really toxic because those are the same people that will call you out as a spiritual healer or somebody in spirituality as not being real. Yeah. Oh, oh Lord. Yes. They're like, like, hey, 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 your negativity that is not in my field, you know, like you you know, they they, they sort of had this air to them. Yeah. That bitch don't kill my vibe air. Yeah. Yeah, they want to take. They want to take their their. Yeah, this is the one thing that's it's really really hard. You know, it's like we awaken uh, from one dream only to wake up in another one, just as divisive. The mm-hmm. second you try and take ownership over spirituality in an egoic way, it ceases to be spiritual. When we start wanting to possess spirituality from the egoic perspective, that's when we start creating all of these conditions. Like, oh yeah, I'm happy, and all the people that are negative are pieces of shit. You know, or I'm, or the people that are like, oh, I'm happy. And then there are the people that are asleep in the matrix and we would, we would, they go and they consider those people sheep. I can't stand that shit. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. That's the worst. They're like, oh yeah, those sheep, you guys are just there and you're taking orders from other people. It's like, allow those people to live the life that they live, Mm -hmm. make the decisions that they make and allow them to learn in the way that they want to learn and concentrate and focus on yourself. Exactly. Everybody has their own process and their process isn't going to be exactly like yours. And just because it's not exactly like yours doesn't mean that they're any lesser than you are. That really pisses me off. That's like, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another one is 
being spiritual is a type of religion. Is it's being not. spiritual a religion? No, it's not a religion. In fact, it's it's the opposite of religion. Yeah. So the basis of spirituality originated in the East, or at least the ones that we typically follow, right? You have Hindus, mm-hmm. they follow the Vedas. You have the Upanishads, those are also Hindu. Um, you have the Bhagavad Gita, same shit. Then you mm-hmm. have Buddhists, they have the Dharma. And neither of them consider any of those things a religion. Mm-hmm. They consider them a philosophy and a practice. And I think this is because they acknowledge that God is a moving target. You cannot define God with religion because God can only be directly experienced. Mm-hmm. The second you dogmatize God, you eclipse your ability to experience it, right? So yeah. God can't be experienced through someone else's experience, right? Whether you worship God or, or not makes no difference to God. These sort of like fundamentalist Christians that are like, you know, you have to give your entire life away. You got to like practice, you know, all of your devotion to God. It's like, it's like, since when has God been a narcissist? Like he doesn't need constant worship, you know, yeah. like he, yeah. he's not a person. He doesn't have the same sort of attributes that we have. So it's really no mix is no incentive for God to have us at his feet all the time. The whole practice and devotion to God is meant to benefit us. You know, it's meant to yeah. help us practice, you know, selflessness and, um, self-love. Yeah. Religion know? is more like, uh, beliefs that are, it's, it's based off a particular set of beliefs and values in, within a certain culture, right? And spirituality yeah. is different in the way that it's not something that you need to convert to. Instead, it's just something that you are. It's yeah. you're just being, you know? Yeah. Um, think, whether you choose right. to deny or embrace that truth is, you know, entirely up to you. Yeah. So it's like the religion is, like you said, a system of organized beliefs and practices shared by a community or group. Yeah. And it, it's usually in service to, you know, your beliefs about somebody else's experience, mm-hmm. you know, and I think being spiritual is about embodying your own experience. Right? Exactly. And and the Christian church just cannot stand that shit. They, yeah. Right. No. Because they need followers. They need they, you to mm-hmm. rely on them in order to seek salvation. That's right. And you never quite get at it. You know, like the only true way to understand God is by intimately getting close and working with how he operates in your life through Mm -hmm. your actions, through your behaviors. And um, as long as you're following, blindly following some other form of faith, and and I'm not not bashing on Christianity. They like believe it's a beautiful practice, but it's all about how you approach it. Right. You know, there are a lot of people that go to church that just blindly follow the teachings of Jesus and don't even understand how it really affects them. Right. They just think that you have to, you know, feel bad for your sins and you need to repent and you need to just blindly follow these words and recite scriptures, but I don't think that's the point. Yeah. You know, I think the not. teaching of Jesus was um, a lot more relatable when you actually start looking at it as a human being. I think mm-hmm. the only thing that Jesus was trying to teach us was that we're human and that we make mistakes Yeah. and to learn from them. And so I think it's about an experiential sort of endeavor, something that you have to find out for yourself. That's the only way that you can experience God. No one ever learned anything by hearing somebody else talk about, especially when it came to things like life. You know, we all learn through direct experience with ourselves. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's this uh, story I think I shared with you once before, Jen, which is, you know, God was walking down the street one time and he sees this homeless guy. I think I shared it with you a long time ago. It was one that always stuck with me. It was like, God is walking down the street, seems this homeless guy crying in front of the church. Then God walks up to this homeless guy and he's like, hey, what's up, dude? Why are you crying? And the guy's like, oh, they won't let me into the church because of the way I look. God's like, oh, it's okay. They won't let me in either. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good one. That's so true too. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, so if I, you are a, a, a person trying to get into spirituality and you feel like you have to convert in any way, um, then that means you are trying to convert to a cult. And that's not what this is. So that's right. just be aware of that. There's I no conversion the necessary to be a spiritual person. The best, the best navigation tool that you have are what Marion Williamson calls the love or the absence of love, right? Once you start operating from awareness, you can almost just look at awareness as being operating from love, yeah. right? Because awareness encompasses the whole. Once you start operating from awareness, you can start to see where the love is and the where the love isn't. And yeah. you can see whether or not someone's trying to sell you some shit. You can see whether or not somebody's coming from love. And you can mm-hmm. see whether or not somebody is just trying to, you know, blow smoke out their ass. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Sure do. There was one, another one I wanted to bring up. This one's really important to me, Jen. All right, let's hear it. Enlightenment means that you will lose interest in society, hobbies you used to like, and instead you'll do nothing. Yeah. But sit in your room with your star projector on meditating. Yeah, I mean, let's go back to kind of what I said before, that you're still going to be the same person. I mean, (laughs) you're not... All of, all of your likes and dislikes are not a magic, magically going to disappear and you're not magically going to be a new person. I mean, you're still the same person and it's okay to still like your hobbies. And if you're a girl, it's okay to like makeup and to get dressed up nice or like shopping and you can still be spiritual and enjoy things that are considered material or I don't know, what, would, what else would you call that? Just enjoying life. Superficial, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think... People are correct in that we'll no longer be interested in life because I think only the ego needs to find things interesting. I think instead you'll be connected with life. So I like to change it up by exchanging interesting with connected, mm-hmm. right? Because being yeah. in, I think being interested and connected are two different things in the same way. Alan Watts actually has this, uh, this talk that I heard where he compares it to being serious and being sincere. When you awaken, things stop being serious and start becoming more sincere. I think seriousness takes things really personally. It seeks validation. It can't be happy unless a certain outcome is achieved. So that's mm-hmm. ego. We can look at seriousness as ego. Sincerity as being like awareness. Like sincerity is like a movement. It's like a current. It's, it represents like a, a certain quality of who you are in every nonlinear sort of individual moment you experience. And I think seriousness reacts from ego. And sincerity responds to the present moment. I think in being withdrawn from society you will be even more connected to society because your opinions, your your prejudices, your desires, all those things will disappear and allow you to be more present with everything that's around you. You know, you'll start looking, you'll stop looking at life through the window of ego because when you're sitting behind a window, right? You say you're inside of a house. You're only limited to whatever it is that's inside of you. Say it's like really quiet, but you're looking at this beautiful sort of landscape outside of your window. That's kind of like what it's like to work from operate from, from ego. As you're looking through a window and you're seeing all this different stuff outside, but you're not able to fully experience it because you're not outside. And I think once you operate from awareness, you walk through the door and you go outside. And now instead of being tethered by just your vision of what everything looks like outside of the window, you're fully immersed in everything around you. And all of a sudden your senses start to open up. You start to see, you start to hear, you can feel all the things against your skin. It's a full body sort of experience. That's what it means to be sincere, mm-hmm. right? Sincere is how you react yeah. in any given moment. Seriousness has an objective. Like seriousness has a motivation. Seriousness is judgmental. Seriousness is like, if I don't have this my way, I'm going to be angry. But sincerity just responds spontaneously 
to whatever moment that you happen to be in. And then there's something called the flow state. They talk about this in, um, in Zen Buddhism. In the same way, I love how we can make these sort of comparisons. There's intelligence and then there's intellect. Mm -hmm. They both use the same reservoir of energy, the same reservoir of knowledge. It's just how you apply, how apply it that makes the difference. I think yeah. intelligence being knows... And being intelligent. I think that yeah. that's a easier easier comparison, right? Because there's there people who are intelligent are completely different than people who are smart. Yes. Yeah. And Krishnamurti makes that, that same... Like, intelligence is tying your shoe. Intelligence mm -hmm. is... Uh, going to your girlfriend's house without having to think about it. You know, intelligence is knowing when to eat when you're hungry. Intelligence is, it's something that responds in a correct way to any given moment. But intellect, intellect is different. It, in, some ways, in, in some ways, it applies itself in, in situations that it doesn't always need to apply itself. It's like a heater that we leave on for too long. You know, it's like a drug that mm -hmm. gets us way too high. It, 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 it's, it's like the drug that gets you way too high when you have shit to do, you know? <laughs> It more or less gets us in the way of experiencing life and mm -hmm. what's in front of us. Like intelligence yeah. is like the organs inside of your body digesting the food. Like you don't know how it does it, but it does it. It just knows. Mm -hmm. It just knows what to do. So I think understanding the difference between intellect and intelligence is really, really important. It can be intelligence like cooking a meal. Yeah, could be. That you already know how to make. So do you want to do one more? Let's do another one. Okay. Let's do another. These are important. These are so, important. This, this one is a little bit lighter. Um, that if you're spiritual, you're a hippie. Oh, if you're spiritual, <laughs> you're a hippie. Yeah. So I, I think this is funny because people think that spirituality is synonymous with dreadlocks and long hair and hallucinogenic drugs and uh -huh. rejection of conventional values. Oh, yeah. um, and like we were talking about earlier with yoga and veganism and vegetarianism, it, this is just another major stereotype that people can't let go of, right? We're all on our own journey and to understanding who we are and our place and purpose in this universe, right? A particular hairstyle is is not going to make you more or less enlightened, right? Those dreadlocks are are not <laughs> they're not connecting you more to the earth, right? They're or connecting you more to the aliens. It's it's just the most ridiculous thing. But yeah, I think it's really funny because enlightenment enlightenment comes from within, and yeah. you have to let spirit guide you on your path, right? And that's. That's not about, it's not about the, the dreadlocks and, and the hallucinogens and living it, in Tibet. We say it's not just about those things, right? It's not just about those things, Yeah, right? it's not yeah. just about the things because um, this speaks to um, something that we talk about in Christianity too, which is like, why can't it evolve, mm -hmm. right? Everything in life changes, like all right. the time. It's as part That's of human nature to evolve and change, right? So that, that is sort of like a, I would say a celebration of very, very hardwired sort of like cultural manifestations of spirituality, which is like people do it because when they do yoga and they start following the, the teachings and Hinduism, that's what a lot of those sages used to do, mm -hmm. right? They, they, they want to play and look the part, right? right? And if people want to do that, that's totally fine. But that's a perfect example of what ego does. It wants to mm -hmm. personify and create an image because it has something to prove, right? right? It wants other people to know to that, know, hey, hey look this at me. is what I've yeah, gone through. Yeah, this is through. what I'm about. This is yeah. who I'm about. And yeah. there's a sort of seeking sort of validation in that. I mean, you can go on Instagram and see all that that kind of shit all over the place. Oh, all over. Where it's yeah. like they may be spiritual, but they have that little, little piece of ego still in there mm -hmm. that wants you to know that it's still wandering around up there, going around trying to personify spirituality and saying like, hey, this is how it looks. And somebody that's operating from awareness will see that and be like, no, no, no. That, that that's that's one dimension of it right but everything is spiritual 
like even the person to wearing baggy pants. I think Gem Goddess is a really good example, right? Because she wears makeup and has, you know, eyelashes and looks very beautiful and is very gorgeous. I mean, she looks like she would be teaching you a makeup tutorial and not, you know, reading tarot cards. And it goes back to what does, you know, what does a psychic look like? And she yeah. gets that question a lot. But you can still do all those things and wear makeup and, and try to make yourself more attractive, right? And be a spiritual person. All that is, is an out, your appearance is an artistic expression of who you are on the inside. And it's just on the outside. And that's what you're showing to the world. So, I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. Like I, I had this conversation with uh, a few people in the past because um, it was uh, a friend that I have that was a female and her boyfriend used to give her a lot of shit for wearing lots of makeup, mm -hmm. right? And the whole story was that it made him feel insecure and, he, you know, he tried to do everything that he could in order to get her to not wear it, right? right? And so he just shit on her for wearing makeup. Anyways, they asked me what I thought and I was like, I have absolutely no problem with women that like to wear makeup because, you know, you look at Native American tribes if you want to look at it from a spiritual perspective, because that's the mm -hmm. one thing that a lot of those sort of spiritualists do. They they take this stance of what's more organic and what's more natural and what's more closer tied to these sort of these sort of spiritual tribes and lineages that we follow. Mm -hmm. Well, Native Americans had they wore makeup. Yeah. Right? A lot of these tribes, they 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 paint their face, they make themselves into all these different they they stretch the ears out a certain way, they put, you know, cylinders in their mouth. Like mm -hmm. instead of looking at it as makeup. We look at it as a form of self-expression. Right. That's all it is. It's a form of self-expression, but we have to be really careful because the bad part of that whole piece is wearing makeup because you're insecure mm -hmm. or wearing makeup because you don't feel like, you know, who you are is enough. It all mm -hmm. comes down to the intention. Right. You know, you don't want to wear makeup as a way to sort of prove something. Right. You want to wear makeup because you love yourself. You feel completely empowered as a woman to just express yourself in the way that you can. I, just, I look at it in the same way that an artist paints a picture. Me too. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've seen yeah. some amazing, amazing artists like do work on somebody's face and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. And you know what? That's God. Yeah. You know, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with appreciating that beauty. Yeah. There's nothing there's wrong not. with that. Yeah. I get, I mean, it's hard. And I think um, Ramona brought this up in the last podcast, which is like, you know, it, it, we've, we've sort of, um, a lot of ways capitalize off of this image that spirituality looks a certain way, especially in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And maybe that game just needs to unfold because it's a part of the journey, really. I think everybody goes through it at some, at some point where it's like, okay, well, you want to be spiritual. These are the sort of prerequisites to that. And I think a part of the part that needs to unfold is that part where people need other people to acknowledge that they're spiritual and accept mm -hmm. the fact that they're spiritual and agree to the fact that they're spiritual. And then you'll get to a point where that ship sails and you'll realize that that approval that you're getting from somebody else, that acknowledgement that you're getting from somebody else is still not making you happy. Mm -hmm. It's still not resulting in this sort of sustainable happiness that you're looking for in spirituality. And so you may still continue doing those things, but you'll stop identifying with it a certain way. And you'll do right. those things uh, not for approval, but to celebrate yourself. I think once that, that whole game plays out and you stop seeking outward for validation you'll start doing those things like practicing self-love, doing all of those sort of rituals and behaviors that help you manifest and cultivate that self-love. And then when you start expressing yourself creatively through things like makeup or fashion, you'll be able to really, really take ownership over the fact that like you love yourself through these actions. 
Absolutely. You know, you won't even have to tell people that you're spiritual because you'll embody it in your actions. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the point. Spirituality, there's a difference between actions and, you know, concepts. You know, mm-hmm. spirituality is expressing your love and your spirituality through the things that you do for other people, the good things that you do, how you are, what type of good person that you are. I know a right. lot of people, or I've met a lot of people in my past where they looked spiritual as fuck, but they didn't fucking do anything for anybody yeah. except for themselves. Yeah. You know, they you talk can about spirituality. You patchouli all you want, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that, that game needs to unfold and definitely no judgment against them because that game needs to unfold. It does. Right? Yeah, it needs it really to happen does. for them. And somebody that is deeper along their spiritual path will see somebody like that and be like, okay, I know where this is headed, right? It's that ego wanting to get its very last little bit of, of the juice, of the sauce, right? It's the ego being yeah. like, okay, I want, I'm going to, this is the one last little thing I'm going to try and grasp onto mm-hmm. until you realize that you cannot grasp onto spirituality. And that's when you stop playing the game. That's when you stop playing this sort of, facade of what you think spirituality is and that's when you start embodying it through action instead of seeking validation from other people that you're spiritual you know what I exactly mean? that's exactly right yeah that's exactly right all right and i have a shit I, I was hoping that we can get through all these jam but we're at 131 yeah we're at 131 it's time to wrap it up yeah let's see here spirituality I mean we can go over these ones and see and the ones that we kind of missed on maybe we can touch them on next time is spirituality means that you'll no no longer desire things that make you feel good or bad things you know that, that aren't good for you basically does it mean that you'll stop seeking temporary satisfaction and i think we kind of yeah touched we kind of touched that. on that and then the other one was um will i become disconnected from my family and friends shit maybe <laughs> it's possible yeah and then the other one was are healers not healers if they break your heart make mistakes or get angry yeah we, we right? talked a lot about that yeah, yeah we talked uh, we talked a lot about that one i think the i guess the last one we can do we can do this one really quick oh will i withdraw oh this is another one it says will i will i withdraw from relationships and stop seeking romantic love um no i mean stop seeking romantic love i've actually never heard this but I mean, the withdrawal from relationships and the withdrawal from family, you know, you do kind of hear that sometimes, but I, I think that that's more along the line of people that have like these major Kundalini awakenings and, you know, renounce all of their material possessions and then just move into van life and, you know, yeah. So yes, you can alienate friends and family whenever you do a complete 180 and change your life like that. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like just the regular everyday person that is just slowly integrating, you know, these practices into their life to help improve and prove who they are. I don't, I actually think that your friends and family become more attracted to you because they want to learn about what you're doing. That's different because they see that you're happier. They see that you, you know, your, your vibe is so much better and you know, they want to be like you. So I don't know. That's true. It really kind of depends. I think it, I think it, it will be the sort of death of, um, seeking selfish needs in relationships, right? Or the end of accepting toxic behavior. So I think yeah. if anything, it'll cause you to let go of relationships and no longer serve you. Serve you. Yeah, exactly. Right? And yeah. that, that shit that you probably needed to let go of anyway, that you're just hanging on, hanging on by a thread. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think, spirituality um, just speeds it up. I think that and this is the one, this could be the last one. Will I become disconnected from family and friends? I think this is an important one because I think, um, I don't think that awakening will involuntarily change your mind about people. I think it'll simply just allow you to see 
through the lens of love and fear, which is a lens that we weren't looking at before. You mm-hmm. know, I think it'll allow you to see through the eyes of oneness um, so that your understanding of love and fear becomes your understanding of how others experience love and fear in their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think what happens with awakening is it tends to dissolve these sort of uh, spiritual boundaries that exist between faiths and denominations, mm-hmm. right? So instead of oh, seeing yeah. somebody as Christian, instead of seeing somebody as Hindu and keeping your distance from these people, you start seeing everything as one, right? Mm-hmm. You can still be a Christian and go and attend church at a Buddhist temple, mm-hmm. you know? You can still engage in all these practices because you you don't see a difference between you and other people. Yeah, I think it... Awareness just sees God in the various forms that it manifests. And I think that allows you to connect even deeper with your family because you're no longer creating division between your beliefs and their beliefs. You're just accepting them for who they are and you're meeting them where they're at. I'd agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, so I yeah. feel like if anything, it's going to allow you to connect even more with them because if you're operating from love, just like you said, the mm-hmm. one thing that they're going to notice is how much it's changed you. Yeah. Right? How much... And this is the difference between ego and non-ego, right? Is the people like maybe some Christians, they want to pound spirituality down your throat and say like, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. You ought to be spiritual. You ought to be happy. And then the people, you know, that approach some level of like really profound awakening instead of trying to impose their beliefs on other people and tell other people what they should be doing, they embody it themselves. So instead Mm -hmm. of having to teach somebody they teach through their behavior, they teach through their actions, and they teach through, through their ability to love other people. And yep. once your family experiences that and the people in your life experience that, you won't even have to try and sell them anything. They're just yeah. going to be like, what is this guy smoking? Right. They're going to be like, it. I want a piece of that. Yeah, absolutely. They'll see and feel that change in you. And that's the that's the best medicine, right? Like That's what we yeah. all want. We, we want people to notice and feel that difference and ask questions. I mean, that's where... The curiosity comes in and that's where, you know, when somebody's open to change is whenever they're asking you about it. It's yeah. so much harder to, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never been one to try to convert. I'm not here to preach to anyone or try to convert anyone. It's like, this is me. This is what I do. This is what works for me. If you want to know about it, I'm happy to tell you about it. Happy to tell you everything I know about it. But, yeah. um, but I'm, I'm just not going to be out there, you know, uh, knocking door to door. Yeah. It just seems so crazy. Mm, would you to like to talk, talk about your relationship with the universe? Mm? No? Yeah, five <laughs> minutes? Would you, like to, would you like to talk about your relationship with the universe, sir? <laughs> can, I this leave pamphlet. This, can I leave this sage bundle with you? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, think about it. Think about it. I'm going to leave this sage bundle with you, and then I'll come back <laughs> next week. That's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, I guess, the, the moral of the story we're human a beings. lot of ground. Yeah. We're human beings. Yeah. We, it, just because you call yourself a healer, just because you call yourself a spiritual teacher, just because you meditate, just because you practice all various levels of spirituality doesn't mean that you're going to stop being human. Right. In fact, it actually means that you'll be more human than you were before yep. because you'll be able to fully immerse yourself in the life that's all around you without being tethered to what your ego thinks of that life in front of you, you know, like instead of, in, in, instead of, you know, talking about how beautiful the sunset is, you'll just watch the fucking sunset exactly. and you'll appreciate the beauty for what it is. Enjoy you know? the little things. Yeah. And enjoy the little things. And that's the thing. It's like, you'll, you'll begin to start seeing the beauty in every little in thing everything. in life. Exactly. 
Exactly. Everything, every little thing in life. And I wanted, I wanted to talk about this really quick, Jen, before we, before we get, before we end it. But this is ooh, a really, really ooh. important one. You turned the this music is, off, guys. This is, this is, this, <laughs> this is a really important one, right? Because okay. people think that if you, if you, I'm sorry, if people think that you're going to be spiritual, that means you're just going to lose that zest for life. Yeah. Right? It means that you're just not going to want to go to EDM shows anymore. Like you're yeah, not going to you got to stop go enjoying life because you're too busy being spiritual. No. You're too busy being spiritual. And that's totally not it. I think what ends up happening is that you won't go seeking those things as, as much as you used to do before. Mm-hmm. You'll allow sort of life to move in whatever direction that you happen to go because you have this newfound appreciation for everything that is simple mm-hmm. in life. Right? right? Like Deepak Chopra has this quote that says, like, we should all be in a perpetual state of amazement that we even fucking exist. Yeah. Right? And if you really focus on that and meditate on that, something really beautiful happens, which is that you start looking at regular everyday things and seeing God and being like, what the fuck are these fingers on my hands? Somebody made this. Whoa. You know? Like, what is this, you know, little plant on the ground? Like, this thing is fucking amazing. Like, somebody created this shit. So you start, you know, moving about your life like a little kid, being exposed to this world that you didn't even see before because your ego was preventing you from seeing it fully. And I think so once you awaken to spirituality and you awaken to that side inside of yourself, falling in love with everything that is simple is the same as falling in love with everything, you know? Oh, and it, won't mean, it doesn't mean that you're just going to not do those peak experiences. It just means that you're not going to limit yourself to just doing the peak experiences and judging your happiness based off of those good times that you have. You start seeing every waking moment of your life as a miracle and as a as gift. As a miracle, yeah, exactly. Every day is a gift. Every second is a gift. Everything is beautiful. Everything has beauty. Yeah. that's Everything is beautiful. Everything is beautiful. Yeah. Sorry, I had to get Except one. I had to get that one out, Jen. Meowing at out. five in the morning. Except him. It's well, not so beautiful your cat. during that time. That's beautiful. Oh, one of these days you're going to wake up and you're going to be like, you know what? I fucking love you, cat. Oh, I love him. Oh my God, I'm so obsessed with him, but I need yeah. him to stop waking me up. That's his only <laughs> flaw. Yeah. Well, we just practice radical acceptance. There we go. Oh. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in to Vinobody's podcast. That was a really intense one guys uh, go into the detail section of this episode that you're listening to you could actually watch the youtube version of this if you want to see me and jen staring at each other just go into the detail section and press the youtube link also if you like this video like and subscribe helps us out on youtube um and you could also reach out to us on uh, instagram where we post our clips and just some more content for you to absorb and if you want to reach out to us send us an email to find nobody's podcast at gmail.com until next time i'm gonna stay friends Namaste.